Welcome to the Humble Hoof Podcast. My name is Alicia Harlov. This is a podcast for both horse owners and hoof care professionals, offering discussions into various philosophies on the health of the hoof and soundness of your horse. Please check us out on Facebook or at thehumblehoof.com. A special thank you to our wonderful sponsor, Cavallo. For our Humble Hoof listeners, they are offering 20% off their Cavallo Trek hoof boots using the coupon code HRN at checkout. The Trek is the world's most popular and versatile hoof boot and Cavallo's toughest trail boot, while also doubling as an option for therapy or rehab. The front closure system makes it easily adaptable to various hoof shapes, and the TPU upper design allows for maximum strength while minimizing weight for the comfort and ease of movement for your horse. These are recommended by vets and trainers and also loved as transport boots by barrel racers, show jumpers, dressage riders, and everyone in between. Again, for 20% off a pair of treks, use the code HRN at checkout at cavallo-inc.com. Heather Wu has popped up on my radar a few times over the past few years because she just does amazing things with hooves and with her performance horse. I've enjoyed following her journey and seeing how she's gotten her horse to event barefoot. When I heard that she was in a terrible accident this last year, I was rooting for her to get better and so excited when I saw that she was back out trimming again. I reached out to her to see if she would chat with me about that journey and how she was able to go from being in the ICU and then in a wheelchair to coming back into full work for her 250 horses on her books. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your business and how you got into hoof care? Okay. Yeah. So I actually, I grew up in Connecticut and in 2019, my husband and I moved to the Lexington, Kentucky area for his job. Um, I had a wonderful barefoot trimmer back in Connecticut, Donna Collins. She was fabulous. So I just assumed that moving to the horse capital of the world, that there would be like a ton of barefoot trimmers to choose from. And I was very wrong about that. (laughs) I was able to find a really great barefoot trimmer, uh, Elena Daly. And we got to talking while she was trimming my horses. And she's like, you know, you should really take some classes. Just like learn how to trim your own horses. And it'll pay off in a couple of years. And you'll love it and all that. So that was when the wheels kind of started turning. And I decided to take Ida Hammer's certification course. And before I knew it, two years later, I was trimming 250 horses a month and was extremely busy. And in all my spare time, I train my horse and we do eventing. We're doing training level, three-day eventing with my completely barefoot Connemara thoroughbred gelding, uh, Finn. So that's kind of what I do. Yeah, that's so cool. I actually, I met Elena a few years ago and she's super nice. I didn't realize that that you had like had her as a trimmer. So that's really cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, she's fabulous. Yeah. And also I've really enjoyed um, seeing the posts on your Facebook of like your training and your performance side of things oh. because I've, I've, you know, my whole life not really been into performance mostly because it like makes me super anxious, but um, oh, I it's, hear you. <laughs> it's been so cool to follow your journey in that a little bit and see how you're doing such great things, taking your horse barefoot through 
all these different kind of uh, schooling competitions, that kind of thing. So it's really cool to see. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, I honestly, when he was younger, I tried putting shoes on because everybody in New England, your horse has to have shoes on, especially for eventing. And he just kept ripping the shoes off and was dead lame. So I was like, you know what? Maybe this horse, we're going to kind of have to find a different approach for him because if I can't keep him sound and comfortable. So that kind of started me on the barefoot journey and finding a specific barefoot trimmer and all that. So it's kind of funny how you end up <laughs> yeah. being where you need to be in the end, you know? <laughs> yeah. And and side note, I didn't realize, I mean, obviously now I know, but I didn't realize you came from New England because I, I mean, I'm in Massachusetts. So that's really right, cool that you're right. up this way. Yeah. 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 <laughs> awesome. All right. So um, I think we can get kind of like into the bulk of our conversation today. And, you know, a few months ago, I had saw that you had posted that you had been in a pretty serious accident. And can you tell us a little bit about what happened? Yeah. So it was a Wednesday morning. It was July 6th. Um, just any old usual morning. I was driving to Starbucks to get breakfast. I was at the stop sign right in front of my house. I was turning left and I was T-boned in my little Honda Fit um, by a box truck going 50 miles an hour. Wow. Later on, I found out from my neighbor I guess the police officer talked with him and the police officer was honestly surprised that I was still alive. My car, I mean, it's a tiny little Honda fit. It was completely crushed like a soda can. And it took them about 30 minutes to cut me out of the car. Oh my goodness. That must've been absolutely terrifying. Honestly, I blacked out for two days. So it's strange, like literally two days of my life is just completely gone. Like I had a couple moments of clarity within those two days because I was rushed to the University of Kentucky. They were fabulous. Oh, they, yeah, I, ugh, I cannot thank them enough for all the care that they gave me. But yeah, so I had a bunch of ruptured organs and they couldn't stop the bleeding in my abdomen. So they had to wait two days for me to go into surgery. So within those two days, it was so weird. Cause I, you know, would just have a couple moments of clarity. Like once I remember waking up and they were turning me over in the bed and it literally felt like there were rocks in my abdomen and it was just the broken pieces of my pelvis grinding oh my together. And I had another moment of clarity where I woke up and I could not feel my left leg. And I thought I was paralyzed and I was crying, just like wondering if I'd ever be able to like walk or ride again. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So it was a very emotional (laughs) journey for me. Um, But I woke up on Friday after my surgery and I found out that I fractured my skull and I needed eight staples to staple my scalp back together. I fractured... C1, three lumbar vertebrae, four ribs. I had pneumothorax. So I needed two chest tubes and I literally shattered the left side of my pelvis and required a lot of permanent hardware, like all the screws, all the plates, and then 52 staples to close it all back up. 
Oh my gosh. I mean, and, <laughs> and the fact that you're already like back and doing things now is incredible. <laughs> I mean, just hearing that, that's amazing. So, you know, that's kind of what I want to talk about because I mean, as somebody who's also self-employed, it's always really scary right. to think about even just like a minor injury because that affects oh, our yeah. livelihood and our ability to make money and provide for like pay our bills. Um, oh, yeah. But then yeah. on top of it, like the risk of not being able to do what we had been doing in the past for a continued amount of time is just so scary. Oh, absolutely. So obviously you become more aware of your situation. You realize how serious it is. Like what's your what's your first thought in that? that moment in the hospital? Like, what are you thinking as you're kind of like realizing the severity of everything? Yeah. So as soon as I kind of regained consciousness after my surgery, my surgeon came in and I was like, Hey, so like, what, what are we looking at here? My husband had said, you know, it could be like six to nine months to a year until you're like back to doing all the things. And so he kind of gave me a heads up that the road to recovery may be a little more extensive just with all of the injuries. So when my surgeon came in, I was like, Hey, so when can I like start walking and like start riding my horse again and like get back to work? Cause you know, I wrestle horses all day and trim their feet. So <laughs> it's not exactly something that you can sit down at a computer and work, you know? So he just smiled. I'm sure he realizes that horse people are just like absolutely insane. (laughs) And, (laughs) you know, I'm laying there with like a freshly repaired broken pelvis. And I'm wondering when I can start riding again, you know. Um, But he was like, look, so bones heal at about eight weeks. And with the help of PT, around 12 weeks, you should be starting to get back to just walking again and like maybe riding, you know? So I was non-weight bearing on my left leg for eight weeks. And then I was in a C collar to stabilize the neck fracture for seven weeks. And that was 24 seven. So I literally had to sleep in it. And it was the most awful (laughs) part of all of it. And then he said, if my radiographs looked good at eight weeks, I could start using crutches and start PT again. So that was pretty great. Just knowing that the timeline was a bit shorter than I had assumed, you know? Yeah. So I was in the ICU for four days and then I graduated to a normal room for four days. And then it was recommended that I go to a rehabilitation center for five to 10 days just to make sure that I could use my walker and that I could get around the house and I could do like daily functions at home by myself. But again, being the stubborn horse person I am, it was the night before I got released, I grabbed my walker and I'm literally doing like laps up and down the hallway oh in the goodness. hospital. <laughs> I'm like, I have got to prove to PT that I can go home because like, I got to go see my dogs. I got to go see my horses. I got to get on with my life. I need to go home. So <laughs> the luckily the physical therapists were like, okay, crazy lady <laughs> and sent me home. But yeah, so that was a pretty crazy eight days of just being in the hospital and 
all the emotions and yeah. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And so then, you know, when you get home, like what obviously I like you said, we're stubborn horse people. We are very committed to doing what we want to do despite any limitations. Right. Um, right. So you get home from the hospital and you're like just able to walk with a walker. Like what was your like, what did you do at that point to be able to get to where you are? And I know that's probably like a big loaded question, but what were oh, kind yeah. of like your first steps to recovery to know that your goal was to be riding, competing, trimming again? Right, right. Absolutely. Honestly, the biggest thing for me was like not to fixate on my current situation. You know, like the situation completely sucked. I was used to trimming 250 horses a month. You know, I was out there and I was competing almost every weekend and I was riding my horse six days a week and traveling and doing work around our farm and doing all the things. My life just like abruptly halted and all of a sudden I'm just stuck inside in a wheelchair, just like staring outside, you know? (laughs) So of course, as soon as I got home, I was just so relieved to be out of the hospital and just back home. And just, you know, I'm like, okay, we're good, you know? But as the days went on, I tried to keep myself busy. It was very rough. And I think just social media was a very rough thing for me, truly. As I was like sitting at home, you know, you're bored, you're scrolling around on Facebook and, you know, you feel so alone because you can't get out of the house, you know, you're stuck at home and, the world kind of just keeps going without you and you're just stuck there, you know? And so I was trying to keep in good spirits. And then one evening as I was scrolling on Facebook, a bunch of my barn friends had posted about like a group jump day and like everybody was in these like crazy Hawaiian costumes and they were jumping these big jumps and absolutely having a blast. And that evening I had a complete nervous breakdown, a complete meltdown and was sobbing uncontrollably for like an hour. And, you know, I just felt totally sorry for myself being in this situation that I never chose to be in. You know, I was wishing that, you know, I could be out there riding my horses. I wish I could be out seeing my clients and their horses and just out trimming and, you know, doing all the things. And I couldn't. And another thing too, a week after I got hurt, it was just announced that I was voted best of Lexington for the Farrier Division, which I found super ironic in a kind of Alanis Morissette kind of way <laughs> that I wasn't able to trim or work when it was announced. Yeah. And I'm like, cool. Yeah, that's great that everybody, you know, <laughs> love that for me. But I'm like, stuck in a wheelchair at home right now. So guys, you know, (laughs) right. And, you know, the thoughts were just racing through my head. Like, would I be able to trim again? What would I even do for a career if I couldn't? Like I've done a bunch of different things in the horse industry. And I finally, you know, like a couple years prior found barefoot trimming. I just love it. What would I do if I couldn't trim anymore? And like, if I could trim all these farriers and barefoot trimmers, had stepped in to like cover all of my clients, which is amazing. But I'm like, what if my clients are going to like these other farriers and trimmers and like stay with them? Would I have to start my business all over again? Like I had worked for years to like build my business and build my reputation. 
is it just going to be gone? You know? So the next day after my pity party, I pulled myself together and I was like, look, you have two choices. I could keep on this completely miserable path and be sorry for myself and depressed and kind of just let myself spiral. Or I could just look optimistically at everything, take it just a day at a time, be thankful for everything that I do have. And, you know, just kind of have faith that like life would just get back to normal again, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. And you know what? This doesn't compare at all to what you went through. But last year I was hospitalized for COVID. And it's so crazy. The fact that you just voiced about how you felt about like, are my clients going to leave me? Are they going to like, like I had those exact same feelings. We build up this business and it's like our baby, you know, like we have this, like something that we put so much pride in and something that we feel so like attached to. And it's, it's like our livelihood. And in some ways, part of our identity is like what we're doing, you know? And then that fear of like, are we going to be able to do this again? And are like, it's crazy that you said, like, are my clients going to like this other person who's covering for me better? Right? Like, I had that exact same thought. <laughs> and it, it sounds so, like, silly for me to say, but it's oh, it's yeah. so it's so funny how this career is very much a, it has a lot of interpersonal relationships. And we worry about those things when we're not able to, you know, interact right. with our clients. So, yeah, I mean that's that's I'm sorry I just had to like interject that oh, because I've no. never heard somebody else voice that you know oh, what I mean <laughs> yeah no and that's kind of just me talking from the heart and kind of just putting it all out there it's just I had never really heard this is all new for me I had never heard anybody else's experiences and honestly when I was recovering my old trainer from back home she's like look you've got to listen to this podcast it was this upper level event rider and she shattered her pelvis in a riding accident. And she's like, you have got like, it's spookily similar to you. You've got to listen to this podcast. And honestly, listening to that and her injuries were like way worse than me. She's in the hospital for like a month and her recovery took like about a year. She went through, I felt like so much more than I did. It really helped me listen to just what she went through and how positive she was about the whole thing. And it's all good. You know, this is kind of just like a speed bump in our life and kind of causes us to slow down a bit and life will get back to normal and just be patient. And so listening to her struggles and her story was just a breath of fresh air for me as I was going through something very similar. So I think it's important that we kind of just talk about it and just be open and kind of share our struggles and maybe it could help one other person. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And honestly, like mindset and mental health is it like really correlates to how much you pursue physically rehabbing your body. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. Your your perception is is going to help (laughs) motivate you to progress and get better. So I totally get it. It's it's hard though. It's hard when you experience something that's like so life-changing in that moment. Yes. To then yes. kind of get over those mental hurdles to start to be like, okay, now I have to actually get my body back in shape and strengthen right. and, you know, go through all that other oh, difficult sure. stuff. It's like these two difficult things you have to work through, like the mental yes. aspect and the physical. 
Oh, yes. And honestly, I thought the mental was way harder than the physical. (laughs) You know what I mean? Right. So, yeah. So I would love to hear a little bit about the the physical (laughs) rehab, right? So, you know, did you were you going to physical therapy regularly? Did you have somebody come to your house? Like what kind of exercises did you do? I don't know if there's like an easier way to sort of outline some of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So basically, as I was leaving my eight week appointment, because my surgeon cleared me to start using that leg again. And yeah, they re-radiographed everything. He's like, honestly, if you could, you could jump up and down on that left leg and everything would be good. So I was like, oh, thank God. So on my way home from that appointment, I called a good friend of mine, Amanda, who works at a local PT place. And we set up an appointment for literally the next day. Cause I'm like, I have got to get going, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so we had set up the appointment and I really truly think that PT was the main reason how I was able to get back to doing everything so quickly and confidently and comfortably. And again, stubborn horse person thing. Initially, I was like, oh, I don't need PT. I'm just going to like slowly get back to everything. You know, it's all good. I'll just do my thing. And my husband who works in healthcare, he luckily convinced me and was like, look, even if it's just a month, like just go for a month and see how it goes. But you need to go to PT. This will be very helpful. And like, if I demand anything, it's that you need to go to PT. So I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah, whatever. I'll go to PT. So I was super excited at the idea of walking again and leaving that appointment. I was like, heck yeah, start using the crutches. And I got home and I was literally terrified of putting any weight on this leg that everyone told me for eight weeks, do not put any weight on at all. So I came home from my appointment and I'm just hobbling around the house, babying this leg that now I'm able to magically use. So I was very lucky that I had a PT appointment the next day. So that first appointment, I hobbled in on crutches. And on my last day of PT, two months later, I was back to trimming about five horses a day and could almost walk soundly and walked out of my appointment. No big deal. So I mean... Each week, I could honestly feel myself getting stronger. It was like the weirdest thing. And exercises that I couldn't do at first, like I remember laying on the table and he was having me lift my leg. And it was the creepiest thing because my brain kept telling my leg to lift it, but my leg was just laying there completely useless, just not even moving. And it was a little scary to me. I'm like, am I ever going to be able to like do this again? Like this is weird, you know? Right. And of course, this is the first time I've ever truly injured myself. So I joke around and I like to say that I just broke all the things at once, you know, (laughs) a lifetime of injuries in one day. Right. So it was, it was a struggle for me because I had never been in this situation, you know, but just thinking back, just like laying on that table and thinking, come on, leg, just move a little bit. And it literally would not go anywhere. So as the weeks went on, 
that exercise, I was able to lift my leg a little bit. And then a couple of weeks later, you know, lift it more, but my leg was still wobbly. Now I can confidently just raise that leg up and down and it's no big deal. So that was pretty cool. Just seeing the progression in the two months. Cause that first month I went three times a week. And the second month I went two times a week and I went basically, I'm like, look, I am a horse person. I wrestle horses all day. I ride. I've got to get back to this and you've got to help me. You know, <laughs> like yeah. I'm desperate here. You tell me, you give me homework. I will do all the things. So I basically just showed the physical therapist what body positions were needed for trimming, you know, like bending down and even just like riding positions. I was having a hard time and still am with my left toe while jumping pointing out instead of pointing forward. So he was able to give me exercises with that too. And even just basic horse care exercises, like pushing a wheelbarrow, like that was so freaking hard for me to do initially, but he was able to come up with a game plan and gave me a ton of targeted exercises that I did in class or like in our session. And then also homework to do at home just to strengthen those muscles. So honestly, it's, you are ever injured, please go to PT. Even if it's just a month and they can give you the homework, it truly will help immensely just getting your routine back and just getting those muscles back. And honestly, just feeling confident again in your own body. Because when I left that eight-week appointment, I was not con- like, I was pretty sure if you took my crutches away, I would just like fall on the floor, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I'm also super dramatic, but <laughs> yeah. So, so then but, how did yeah. you guys decide that you were ready to try trimming a horse? So I was still on crutches. Oh my goodness. And it was, yeah. So during the whole time that I was out and that I was in a wheelchair, I felt super bad because all the other barefoot trimmers and farriers were covering my clients, but I had three horses at home, but I'm like, man, they're not going to have the time to like come out and, you know, trim my own horses. They're dealing with everybody else. So somehow I convinced my husband (laughs) to take trimming lessons from me. (laughs) So (laughs) So he had, I mean, he picked before, but you know, he would have never been like, Hey, why don't you teach me how to trim? You know, but he luckily was totally game. He's like, all right, let's go for it. So we would go out every two weeks. He'd wheel me out in the wheelchair. And basically I would just peek over his shoulder and check the balance. Like, all right, a little more off the medial tone. Oh, a little bit off the heel. And, you know, so luckily he was able to keep my guys in a pretty good position, you know, while I was out. But yeah, so when I was finally cleared by my surgeon to like start using the crutches again, it was like a week later and I was feeling kind of froggy. And I was like, you know what? Maybe I'll just like start picking feet because why not? You know, let's just like see how I feel. So I pull out my super saintly little Carmelo pony, Ollie, and I pick his feet out. Of course, I'm like wobbling around. I put my crutches to the side. And if I felt uncomfortable, I'd grab his wither. <laughs> Looking back, it was like really probably not a great idea. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but he's such a good boy. And then I kind of just grabbed the rasp 
and just did two of his feet. You know, I'm not even going to do a whole lot, just like grasping and just see how it goes. So a couple days later, I do his hind feet and that went well. So then I'm like, you know, I'm just going to do my other horses too. You know, so every couple days I would just rasp two feet. And then after a week or so, I would rasp all four feet on one horse. I'm like, okay. And then I would rasp all four feet on two of them in a day. You know, I wasn't really doing a whole lot. I wasn't giving them any like actual trims, but just rasping them and keeping them looking good. But even with PT and all that, there's nothing better than just doing the actual thing of being under the horse and gaining that confidence again and just, you know, doing the things. So once I felt confident and I was able to wrap up like all three of my horses, I think at this time it was October 1st and that was about like 12 or 13 weeks. I had reached out to a couple of my clients that have just super saintly horses. If they had just one horse and each day I would go and trim one horse and I'm like, I'm just going to see how this goes, you know? So I kind of just started off one horse at a time. And then a couple weeks later, I would do two or three horses in a day, you know, and then kind of just check back in and the next day, see how sore I felt. But I honestly felt pretty good, you know? And then middle of October, I started kind of doing a couple a day. And then end of October, I would do, you know, four or five horses and, you know, just gradually work my way up to doing larger groups. And I would say early November, middle November, I kind of just opened back up to everybody, even just large groups of horses. And I still felt really good. So obviously these are all just well-behaved horses. I honestly don't know if I'll ever feel comfortable taking on horses that are a bit difficult, you know, horses that will kick and I, yeah, you know, you go through something super traumatic and I just don't want to start from scratch again getting hurt. So, and honestly, um, like that's not a bad thing because I think owners also need to realize that they need to, I hate to say that, but like they need to work with their horses to be safe for the farrier or the trimmer, whoever's working on that. Because I had the same thing happen after COVID where there were some horses that I'm just like, I don't want to see that horse again because I just realized what it's like to be out of work. And that wasn't obviously a horse related injury and neither was yours, but you realize how quickly life can change and you don't want to put yourself in situations that, you know, can risk that. So absolutely. Absolutely. You realize, I don't know, I guess I didn't realize that I wasn't invincible before, but yeah, no, I know that that like, yeah, like, Ooh, I could actually really get hurt doing this where before I was like, Oh, whatever. If he tries to kick me or he's like jumping around, I'm like, Oh, just get him done quick and whatever. Even still, like I don't have all of, I feel like I'm like 95% of the way there, but even if a horse jerks away from me or something, I'm still not 100% stable on that leg. And what if a horse tries to kick me and I fall and I end up getting hurt again? You know what I mean? It's just, I've learned with this that 
a little self-preservation <laughs> perhaps yeah, <laughs> that I didn't have before. So. Right, exactly. And honestly, like as awful as these things are and these kind of injuries and, and incidences, you know, they can help us sort of change our mindset and restructure our business to make it better for us for the future, you know? Right, right. So Absolutely. So, I mean, this is all really, I mean, it sounds like a really horrible and like difficult experience, (laughs) but I'm so glad that you're doing so much better. And I'm, it's just been so great to hear that, you know, you're able to go back to trimming and riding and I'm so happy that you're doing okay because I can't even imagine how hard it would have been for the last, you know, half a year to deal with all of that. But yeah, no, thank you. Is there anything that we didn't touch upon that maybe you want to, you know, let people know or something that we did I didn't ask you about that you feel is important? Oh. Yeah, so just like a couple of things that were super helpful just getting back to it is set little milestones and goals for yourself so that you have things to look forward to. You know? So each day that passed by in each doctor's appointment that I went to, I thought that I was one step closer towards freedom. You know, at three weeks, I got my 60 staples removed. And yes, I did ask the nurse to count them as she was pulling them out. Oh my goodness. Yeah. (laughs) And at seven weeks, my C collar was able to be taken off because they couldn't see the fractures and C1 or my skull anymore. So the neck brace came off. So that was great. Like at eight weeks, I was cleared to start using crutches and start PT and So just having those little milestones, I'd be like, oh man, next week my C collar is coming off and then I can finally sleep well again, you know, just having little things to look forward to. Because honestly, when you're sitting around at home doing nothing, there's not really a whole lot to look forward to as bad as that sounds, but just enjoying the little things of, yes, you know, we're one step closer to freedom, you know? Yeah. And another thing reading books and articles just to keep your mind in it when your body can't be, you know? Right. So I dove back into some like hoof care and trimming books. I went through Pete Ramey's book again and the essential hoof book again. And I hadn't seen those books in a while. So it was great to kind of catch up and I'm like, Oh yeah, I forgot about that. You know? And then also I signed up for an online massage therapy course and I completed the online portion of it because I was like, you know, this stuff would be great to know. Hopefully if I can start trimming again, maybe this will help me look at things differently, you know, with horses moving. So it's just equine massage therapy course. Yeah. So, you know, just, I mean, you're stuck sitting around, you might as well make the best of it and read up and learn. And, you know, I don't know when I'd have the time to do it otherwise. But so those are all super helpful things, just like mentally to keep you kind of sane and pushing forward, you know? Yeah, absolutely. No, that's some really good advice. And I think that hopefully people don't have to go through things like that. But (laughs) it's important to remember those kind of things when something does come up that's unexpected. Right. I really realize the importance of having health insurance. Yes. Our jobs can be very dangerous. I mean, we're literally working under 1,200 pound animals all day with a mind of their own. So, and then also like random things happen, like you get hit by trucks and like you don't even expect it. You know what I mean? So, and of course, 
all of us being self-employed, I personally don't purchase my own insurance, but luckily I'm covered by my husband's because I don't even know what the amount was, but I'm sure my bills were astronomical with being in the ICU for four days and having like this major five hour surgery, you know? Right. And honestly, just financially, it's hard. You're sitting around, there's no paid time off, you know, if you're not working, you're not making money. And I really wish there was a way of working remotely with barefoot trimming, but I know, (laughs) you know, there's no way of doing it in a wheelchair. So right. (laughs) That was tough too. But I mean, it was so great. Just I was overwhelmed at the number of barefoot trimmers and blacksmiths and farriers that chipped in to just cover all of my clients, which was a huge relief, just knowing that everybody was in good hands and taken care of. And a lot of the blacksmiths wouldn't take the money from my clients and they oh. would just have them Venmo it to me, yeah. which, you know, my phone would get pinged and I have money in my Venmo account. And I just start tearing up because I'm like, why am I getting this money? I'm not doing the work. You know what I mean? Like I felt guilty, you know, people truly care. And you know, one local eventing barn, Lucky Dog Eventing, they raised money for me. Dusty Franklin, who runs a farrier school out West, he Venmoed me a bunch of money. And all of it was just to kind of keep me afloat when I wasn't able to be making money. And I'm the kind of person I hate asking for help. (laughs) I'd rather suffer. I don't know. I do not ask for help. But honestly, take help if it's offered. People would not offer it if they didn't mean it. Right. And people truly care. And it was just crazy the amount of outpouring of help and love from family and friends and clients and even complete strangers that had no idea. And it was overwhelming in a very good way of just how many people truly care and how many people were willing to come and take care of my horses and walk my dogs and make meals. And, you know, I was just, I was blown away, truly. So there's a lot of good in the horse industry and the horse world. And if you need the help, please ask, you know, because there are plenty of people out there that would give you the shirt off their back, you know, just to make your life easier Yeah. So, yeah. And I will say, I mean, from experience last year too, that despite all the differences we see on Facebook between trimmers, farriers, or whatever, they, the way that people come together when there's been this kind of accident or tragedy is incredible. I think that maybe it's because, you know, other farriers and trimmers know what it could mean for them to have a similar accident and be out of that kind of money and have no way of making income. Right. But when I was in the hospital too, I had people covering for me that would send me the payments for my clients. And I felt the same way. Like I was like, Oh my goodness, I'm not doing the work. How can I accept this? But then it made me that more determined after I got better that whenever I see somebody, like when I see a farrier GoFundMe or when I see that somebody's been hurt, I want to send money because people have been so generous with me that I want to pay it back and, or pay it forward. I should say. Um, Oh yeah. And there's just this amazing sense of taking care of each other in this industry that I really love. Right. Right. Absolutely. I feel like a lot of times there's just 
I don't know. It feels like there's like a feud between barefoot trimmers and blacksmith, you know, whatever. Yeah. But with this, it was truly, you know, and these people, some of them, I haven't even met them before. And they were like, oh no, just send Heather the money. It's all good. Oh, yeah. like, you know, and it's just like, oh my God. So when I see them, when I'm out and about, I'm just like, thank you so much. You know, yeah. 50 bucks to them here and there. But to me, that was, it kind of kept things afloat. And I truly cannot thank everybody enough. It was, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's it's really amazing when that happens. Or like just the, the support that we see from other people. I think it's so great. Right. So awesome. This is great. And I'm s- super thankful that you're willing to hop on a call with me. So thanks so oh, much. Oh, yeah. No, thank you so much for having me. And no, I... Feel like you know maybe it'll be helpful to one person just hearing my story you know just as that listening to that one podcast oh yeah you know for me you know even if Absolutely. it helps one person so yeah well so nice to meet you over the phone yeah you and, too thank um, you so much for having me yeah anytime yeah. i'll talk to you soon <laughs> awesome sounds okay. great bye okay bye If you're struggling with a tough rehab case, the Humble Hoof is excited to now offer truck-in services and rehabilitation boarding at our facility in Amesbury, Massachusetts. Check out thehumblehoof.com for more information. I always say that I'm slightly more hoof-obsessed than the average person, and chances are, if you're listening to a hoof care podcast, you are too, so we should probably be friends. Feel free to find me on Facebook or email me at thehumblehoof at gmail.com.